Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Norm, mm-hmm. what was that you said uh, yesterday when they were taking pictures about Vito's pub? No, don't worry, man. Talk to me, Norm. Okay, um, I think it's best he hears it from us. Uh, go ahead, tell him a story. All right, you heard of Vito's pub? Yeah, it's a gay bar, right? Yeah, didn't used to be. It used to be a great bar. I hung out there myself. Wow, what a story, though. <laughs> I'm not finished. There's more? One night, Vito lets a gay group hold a meeting in the back room, right? Uh, gays for the metric system, I think. <laughs> story got in the newspaper, gets a lot of attention. Next thing you know, Vito's pub turns into Vito's pub. <laughs> All the regulars left, Sammy. Out went the oars and the moose heads. In came plants and ferns. Ferns. <sighs> Just don't want that to happen to cheers. I don't believe that stuff. Bars don't turn gay overnight. You don't have to believe me. I have scientific proof. Cliff, it happened. See? <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Everybody knows your name Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly and joining me for Season 1, Episode 16 is my friend from the Council of Geeks YouTube page, as well as the co-host of the Tough Like a Girl podcast right here on the Fire and Water Network. It's Nathaniel Wayne. What's up, Nathaniel? Hey, Ryan. And <laughs> I, I'm always shocked when you have me back on, given that <laughs> I, I have a tendency to tick off everybody. Yeah, have what a, am I a glutton for the punishment? Do I just welcome the challenge? Um, I suppose with this case, I've got enough of a lead where if I really don't like what you're going to have to say about this one, I'll just replace you and just say, I, I don't know, it didn't record somehow. But Well, I mean, there's also a reason I was asked onto this, but we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and we will get to that, but uh, first, it's your first time. We'll see if it's your only time, but for now, at least it's your first time on the show. Uh, you get the same question that every other first-time guest gets. What is your Cheers origin story? How, when did you discover it? What is your experience with Cheers? Before I answer that, I just want to double-check something. Shag's never been on this show, right? He has not yet. <laughs> Beat him to this one, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that I'm done gloating. He's going to spend, he'll be on in like three episodes from now, and he'll spend the entire time talking about what a bad guest you were. Well, yeah, it's as as is his, his want. So, you know, it's the flailings of a defeated man. <laughs> so anyway, as far as Cheers goes, Cheers gets lumped in with a handful of shows that 
I tend to think of as my grandfather's shows. So I used to spend summers with my grandparents. I'd go to day camp there, and my grandfather, there were the shows that he would watch. MASH was one. This was actually how I got into Star Trek The Next Generation. Seinfeld he was very into, but Cheers was absolutely, that was one of my grandfather's shows. And sort of, because I never really sat down with him to watch them, I would like catch bits and pieces. The funny thing is, as much as I have an affection, both legitimate and nostalgic for Cheers, I think I've only seen from start to finish maybe three episodes (laughs) and this despite the fact that i will always argue it has the single greatest series finale in the history of television Mm. and i say that having not watched almost any of it (laughs) but um that's that was sort of my hook in with with cheers and it was really interesting to to watch this especially because you know when i was when i was watching this stuff when he was watching it you know a coach had passed on and woody was there um, and also Diane wasn't around anymore. So like I caught a couple of episodes I, or pieces of a couple of episodes, I think, with Diane in them. But I had actually never seen anything with Coach. I think they had a reluctance to rerun ones that where you could tell how old it was. Mm-hmm. I th- And I don't think that's unique to Cheers. I think a lot of shows tended to do that. Uh, avoid the clear separating lines from, oh, this is an old one. So I had actually never seen Coach, but I've I've always had just just a, a very sweet affinity for this. And I do tend to think of my grandfather when I think of this show, because I, like the first thing I always think of when I think of my grandfather is I think of his laugh. He had this almost cackle of a laugh and he <laughs> loved this show. Awesome. Well, that's uh, that's very cool. Um, and so, at least you ha- you're coming to this episode from a, a nice little warm, nostalgic place. Whether or not that that sense will maintain throughout the episode, um, we will we will soon find out. Well, I mean, we'll also add the other sort of um, through line for my appearances on your various shows. Is I think, with the exception of my Star Wars appearances, basically you've always had me on to talk about something that I really have no business talking about because I don't know it. <laughs> dang thing about it <laughs> like i'm sure the term neophyte has been used to describe the majority of my appearances on your shows oh yeah oh yeah going back all the way back to the uh the secret origin of shazam yeah but, uh, oh yeah and and there's the thunder <laughs> <laughs> damn it damn it you tricked me into playing now i gotta play that song but i didn't even do it to you you did it to yourself oh no you set me up okay all right <laughs> well Let's get into this episode. We are talking about the 16th episode of Season 1, titled The Boys in the Bar. Uh, This episode was written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs. It was directed by James Burroughs, and the original air date was January 27th, 1983. Tom Kenderson, Sam's teammate and best friend from his baseball days, has published a memoir called Catcher's Mask. And Cheers hosts a book promotion event for the press featuring a joint interview with Tom and Sam. The only problem is, Sam didn't bother to read the book before, and thus doesn't know that Tom used it to out his long-hidden homosexuality. Caught off guard during the interview, Sam makes an ass of himself before Diane can sequester him to the pool room where he vents his disbelief and disappointment in private. After some encouragement from Diane, Sam honors his friendship and finishes the interview with Tom. When the article drops in the newspapers, Sam and Cheers get a reputation for being gay-friendly. But is that too friendly for the comfort of the regulars? 
Norm recounts a similar situation where an ostensibly straight bar turned into a gay bar after being welcoming to a gay group. Norm, Cliff, Carla, and the others worry that gays will now be attracted to Cheers and the regulars will be driven off. Their fears seem to be justified when a couple of strangers come to the bar. Norm and Cliff suspect the new guys are gay and rally everyone else to convince Sam to kick the new guys out or risk losing his most loyal customers. Sam refuses. As a last-ditch effort, the regulars all pretend like the bar closes at 7 p.m. and trick the allegedly gay patrons into leaving. Then the regulars come back in moments later, feeling victorious and comfortable in their heterosexual haven. That is, until Diane reveals that the couple they have chased off were not gay, but two of the other regulars are, and they out themselves by planting big kisses right on Norm's cheeks. So, that was The Boys in the Bar. Nathaniel, what did you think of this episode? All right, before I tell you what I think about this episode, let, let's sort of address why I'm here. Because you're a bleeding heart social justice warrior. <laughs> oh, yes. I, 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 am a, I am an SJW uh, beta cuck. It is, <laughs> it is well documented at this point. So, yeah, I'm here because I, I, am, your, I am your queer ringer for this <laughs> Definitely um, the first so, first train, first one up, yeah. So, uh, in case listeners don't know, um, I'm not gay. Uh, let me first say that. So, apparently, Ryan doesn't know any actual gay people who ever watched Cheers. Otherwise, he would have gotten it right there. But he went for adjacent. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm gender fluid, um, so I am part of the LGBTQ plus community, and it is something that I talk about over on the Council of Geeks YouTube channel, as well as having a a separate channel that is devoted almost entirely to those sorts of topics. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say being the uh, the macho dude that you are, <laughs> you didn't want to be caught arguing whether or not another group should or shouldn't be offended by the way this topic's <laughs> tackled. I mean, I, I did. I, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, you are not wrong. I did want to... I wanted to address that. No, I, I did want somebody from the LGBTQ plus community. I wanted somebody. I wanted somebody else's take on that because I'll be honest. For a while, this was a hard episode for me to watch. Like in recent years, like during rewatches, I I would get uncomfortable because for a big part of this episode, the characters that I've come to love are homophobic, and I was like, "Gosh, is this? How is this going to play out?" Now, when I rewatched it for this podcast, I was able to see, I, I don't want to, I, I was not able to forgive them, but I was able to see that their homophobia could have been worse. Um, and at least it, like, it, it was not coming from a place of malice, but rather ignorance. Um, but I did certainly want to get somebody else's opinion who might be more offended than I was about this one. So what was your first emotional <laughs> impression of this episode? Okay, well, I look, let's let's take the time into account. This episode actually got recognition from it wasn't Glad, it was another organization around the time, but it's basically the the equivalent of Glad recognized this episode and gave it praise. Yeah, so, I think it did win like a media award from yeah. whatever proto Glad was. Like I think even before Glad maybe I don't know if Glad was there around then, but like whatever became Glad, yeah. It, it was um, something in that same vein. And so regardless of anything that I'm about to say, it was considered incredibly progressive for the time. And like the eighties, especially eighties comedies, a lot of them have aged 
very, very badly on basis of homophobia, racism, and misogyny. Mm -hmm. Now, Cheers has so far been doing pretty well considering how misogynistic the character of Sam could be, but they're walking that line pretty well. So some things hold up. Now, when it comes to this episode, I loved this. I thought this was great. <laughs> good, good. And I will say, not it wasn't just the the Glad or whatever the the organization was. It got a, this was actually one of three episodes in the first season that got a best writing credit at the Emmys that year. Um, it was actually the pilot episode won the award for best uh, original screenplay for a television comedy. Um, but this episode was nominated too. Yeah, and honestly, I would say deservingly so. I think that this is handled extremely well. Now, there's a lot that we're probably going to tackle and talk about, but the core question of this, it's actually really helpful for me because it kind of, in a nutshell, illustrates something that I've, I've tried to explain to people before. <laughs> and because the, you have the people who get very upset and like, oh, why am I not allowed to joke about certain things? It's like, okay, there's a difference between joke topic and joke target so in this the joke the you know specific jokes vary but the overall joke of the episode is about gay men gay men are never the target though the target is initially sam and then for the final punchline norm the targets are the people who are being weird about the fact that there are gay people. So while it is a joke about gay people, it is not the the punchline is not punching at gay people. And that makes all the difference in the world. Cause I, and while I, I actually hadn't considered, again, because as much as I have nostalgia for the show, I haven't seen a ton of it, I get what you're saying about you cringing looking back and seeing characters you love behaving in a way that it's uncomfortable for you to watch. I'll grant you that, but within the confines of the episode, their behavior is called out, is not only called out by Diane and eventually by Sam as he kind of finds his footing and stands his ground, mm -hmm. but just the way the episode is constructed, Norm and Cliff and the other regulars are made to look buffoonish yeah. and wrong. So fundamentally, the entire episode is built around the idea is built around the idea of making fun of the morons who treat gay people like a separate species. Right, right, yeah, and actually, that I did want to kind of get into almost the structure of this episode is a little bit unusual too, um, because there, you almost have two different micro episodes in Act One and Act Two, just divided by the commercial break. Now, the teaser for this episode, and we can get uh, this out of the way really quick, the teaser has nothing to do with the main plot, which is not unusual for Cheers. I think 90, 95% of the episodes, the teaser was just a sort of little self-contained little gag that you could rearrange and put them in any episode. Oh, um, the, yeah, this was Harry the Hat's little. Yeah, this one had uh, the second appearance of the, uh, of the con man swindler, Harry the Hat, played wonderfully by Harry Anderson. Um, and the setup here is that he, he is in the back room playing pool, Sam didn't even know how he got in the bar. Um, and he's like, I, yeah, I came in the back door. And Sam goes, we don't have a back door. He's like, well, then it's my secret. And somebody else actually <laughs> pointed out that that is the no prize for how in the pilot episode, there's a woman at the, there's a woman sitting down at one of the tables in a wheelchair. Now, Cheers is, <laughs> is a basement level bar. It does not appear to be wheelchair accessible. But somebody was like, Harry the Hat knew that there was a back door somewhere. So they could have conceivably have happened that way. How, um, how, mu how much you want to bet he sells that information? 
<laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so then he he kind of like makes a big deal of putting the um, the cover over the pool table and getting Diane to kind of do it for him by acting like he's incompetent and can't do it. And he ends up using that into having her shout out down the hall to Sam, "It's covered." So Sam thinks that he's talking about the bill. So Sam, so Harry is able to sneak out without paying for his drinks. It's a nice yep. little gag, and it's great to see Harry Anderson in the show. He's always like a lot of fun in this part. Then, once we get to the the main part of the show, as I was saying, with Act 1, you've got Sam, his old friend, comes in, and Sam discovers to his shock that his friend for, that he thought of as a brother for all these years is gay. Come, catches him completely by surprise. He reacts kind of like a jackass in the moment, kind of defending his own heterosexuality in front of these reporters. He goes to have this conversation with Diane. But by the end of that, before we get to the commercial break, Sam has kind of had his crisis and his catharsis, and he's come to terms with it, and he's going to accept Tom. It's almost like that's its own little plot that has been resolved by the commercial. And then once we come back for the second act, it's like a sequel, where you have the unintended consequences of that, of, okay, Sam has dealt with this on a personal level, now he has to deal with it on a business level. And what is this going to mean for his job and, and his bottom line with the regulars? Yeah, um, and I I love all this for a number of reasons. First of all, let, let's kind of talk about the first half in isolation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think this was really well done on basically every level. So first of all, I think um, the the character of Tom was Alan Autry. Mm-hmm. Um, played him. Who I did little little information his, his uh, biography and like IMDb and everything. First of all, uh, he was actually a professional athlete, but he played quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Huh. Um, after his football career ended, he only lasted a year or something. I think he only started three games, uh, according to IMDb. Um, after that, he went into acting. He did a couple of small roles in a lot of things. He was in the A-Team once, and I think like the Dukes of Hazard. Um, his big thing was he starred in the TV show In the Heat of the Night. Um, he was on that, I think, every episode, like one of the major characters. Um, eventually, he left acting, went into politics. He was actually elected the mayor of Fresno, California in 2000 and again in 2004. So quite a oh. crazy career. Professional football He's, player, actor, and politician. Been all over the place. Yeah. Well, he does a really great job, and especially I love the sort of trepidation that comes across as soon as he realizes that Sam hasn't read the book yet. Because I think it does a really good job of capturing without like having it be the focal point of what's going on, but still capturing and giving a sense of that fear where, oh, God, I thought you knew. Right. Because anyone who's ever been in the closet for any reason, whether it's being gay or gender fluid or trans or non-binary or, or anything else, you know, as, once you've kind of done whatever is your quote-unquote big coming out, which I'm sure for Tom was writing the book, writing and publishing the book, you kind of like to think, oh, I don't have to do that again. <laughs> but the tr- the reality is you're almost in a perpetual state of coming out for a very long stretch of your life because you keep bumping into people who, for one whatever reason, don't know yet. And there is a trepidation that comes with that. And just in little small moments and little things about the performance, I think he captures that really well. And the thing is, I actually don't think that Sam comes across as much of a jackass as you make it seem. Well, Diane certainly thought so. Well, Diane does, but Diane's judgmental as hell. (laughs) Okay, so Diane's going to take the harshest view of Sam always. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that 
what I like about Sam, and certainly if you want to contrast him with Norm and, and Cliff and the rest, is I think, and again, it's down to the performance and it's down to just the little touches. The sense that I get is not that he's going, oh my God, gay guy. He's going, oh my God, I don't know my friend. Yeah, no, I absolutely think that's the case. And, and his reaction, while initially negative, is rooted in personal damage as opposed to Norman Cliff's reaction later, which is rooted in bigotry. Mm-hmm. Sam's just thrown is thrown off by, wait a minute, what the hell just happened? <laughs> yeah, and I, how, I, I how did we get here? I I actually think his reaction would not be you know, aside from the you know, trying to reaffirm his own heterosexuality, I think his anger and his distress towards Tom would not have been that different if Tom said, Hey, I've got cancer and I'm dying in six months. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it connects on that kind of level. Yeah, no, I definitely think the the surprise and the the disbelief is a big part of his initial reaction. And then I I do think part of the like once once the reporters start asking him questions, he goes into like the self preservation has to defend his own you know sexuality and even like when Diane is dragging him off to the pool room and he's like another woman like they can't keep their hands off me and Diane even goes shut up, um, <laughs> but she pulls him back. I, I do like that they actually give him the moment where he's sitting down and she says you're afraid now that people will assume and she's uh, she, he doesn't even let her finish she, but she's gonna say you're afraid now that people might assume that you you knew this or that you were gay or too because of how close you were. And he basically cuts her off. He doesn't even let her go down that road. He's like, no, that's not what I'm afraid. He's like, and he says something like guys should be guys. And I think he's basically just expressing a kind of an ignorance, but a, a, a world view of what he thinks. Like, I mean, like the, the world that he was coming from, these jocks who were chasing women and all of these things. And then he even has a quiet moment where he's like, you know, things were a lot simpler back then. And I think it is just, it's, it's a moment where he has to reality has to reorient itself and he needs a he needs time for it to catch up. And, yeah, which, which and if if he had read the book instead reasonable. of going out with a girl, then he could have processed this the night before in private. But yeah. And I mean the the thing is, like I I also think that depicting moments like this is actually important because the reality is is that even now a lot of people when something like this gets dropped on them when they find out you need time to digest you know most people will be fine on the other side of it but you do need time to reorientate yourself to to the new information you just took in and basically sam finds out in a situation that is not the best situation (laughs) for him to suddenly realize that basically sets aside takes a moment vents a little recenters himself and is more or less okay until the second half of the reality of the business end of it hits him in the in the second half but he basically has what i think is a very realistic and reasonable little arc in that first half which is shock confusion like a little bit of anger going on with that because i think anybody having you know your worldview upended whether it's for the better or not it's annoying inherently <laughs> to have to have to go oh crap i need to rethink elements of my life that's not fun to do mm-hmm. that's not fun to have to do so it's all reasonable and then like he has a little bit of time calms down and processes in a completely reasonable and very human fashion yeah no and i think I, I, you can't help but sort of contrast because Sam is the lead and because it's his his story and where he's going in this episode. But I think you kind of have to contrast him still with him in that first act 
of the way other people react to the news, the way Coach and Carla specifically. Carla is devastated, does the whole say it ain't so, Tom, say it ain't so. Uh, and uh, before Sam comes out the second time, like Tom's like, you know, I'm sorry, you know, disrupt everybody. I'm, I'm going to take off now. And Coach kind of says, you know, so long, Tom, and gives him this very sad wave. And I just kind of got this feeling because Coach is the opposite of Diane, and that Coach doesn't judge anybody. Coach takes no. everything on its face. And especially when you t- heard Coach talk earlier in the episode, like how much he worshipped Tom and how much he loved the kid, then I think there's just from coach and maybe this is me giving him the benefit of the doubt it was more a sense of tom's life is going to be really hard now and he's not going to he's not going to find acceptance and this is sort of a tragic end for him i'm not sure i i'm i actually i read it in a similar vein but i think you took it a step too far i think the sadness in coach's delivery because i definitely saw it was much more oh he feels like he's not welcome here Mm. I, I don't think Coach processes far enough down the line to think what Tom's life is going to be like. Mm. But I think Coach can read the immediate, immediate situation and go, oh, he feels like he has to leave. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah, that actually, that, that probably is a little bit more true to the character, that he's dismayed that Tom can't be welcome in Cheers, this home that everybody loves, this escape for everybody, and that if that he feels unwelcome here... Yeah, that's that is probably the that's probably the greater tragedy in the situation. And, and you know, it's funny. I you know, we're going to focus more on Norm in the latter half. I think Carla actually made me the most uncomfortable personally. Yeah, but, and, and like, it's I maybe, mean, maybe we'll get into that in more detail. Right. Well, well, I think yeah, I, I think that's probably. I guess we're sort of going to have to look at a lot of the characters and say what is their their response to this and what is their view. And Carla's certainly of all of the ignorant ones. She's like even like Diane is sort of perplexed by the way Carla reacts to some of these things. So she says, "You're not prejudiced against gays, are you?" And Carla's like, "Well, I'm not fond of them either." And she kind of makes the argument that if every man was gay, then there wouldn't be any other men, like straight, good-looking straight men for her to date and everything. These really kind of selfish and silly excuses and everything like that. And Well, here's, here's what made it really uncomfortable for me with Carla. So, like, if we're going to contrast again with Norman Cliff and the rest of the regulars, they're very open about the fact that gay people make them uncomfortable and they don't want to be in the same bar with them. Like, and not that that's a good thing, but they have a self-awareness of their own position on this there's actually there's like for like for norm there's this weird like yeah you're right like the the self-awareness because there's this own where he's almost bizarrely complimentary because when he says there aren't any gay guys in cheers i haven't seen any and and diana's like calling him out she's like you can spot a gay guy he's like oh yeah a mile away and he looks around the bar he's like yeah this crowd too ugly to be gay yeah (laughs) it's kind of like okay so you kind of like you have a sense of like the sort of stereotype but it's like he is sort of making a judgment, but sort of praising at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, again, it's not a good thing. But the thing about Carla is Carla is the prejudiced person who won't accept that she's prejudiced because mm-hmm. she has these preposterous rationalizations. And it was actually that first line that is like, well, I'm not prejudiced against them. I don't exactly like them. It's like, no, 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 no. This, <clears throat> that's the most infuriating because someone like Norm, he's so just accepted that i don't know i just don't like him that i kind of feel like norm let's just get you to hang out with some guys and you realize oh they're not what i thought they were it's fine whereas carla because she has these bizarre rationalizations for these prejudiced feelings that she has i'm like 
it's going to take a lot more work to pry you out of those because you don't think you're prejudiced. Right. Right. Yeah. She actually, when they go back to the pool room, like the second time when the, the whole the whole crowd kind of gets Sam to go back there, she's like, "Let's leave emotion out of this. This is a business decision." She's like, "If this becomes a gay bar, you're going to have to hire male waitresses. That means I'm out on the I'm out on you know the street or whatever and can't support." And she's like, because she's pregnant now with her fifth child, and Sam's like, "Yeah, thanks for leaving emotion out of this." Yeah, um, but you're right. But yeah, because with Norm in particular, but also like Cliff and some of the others, and actually there are a few times where I think Cliff is actually taking it further than, further than Norm. But at least, and I, I, this is where I kind of said at the beginning that I found it a little bit easier to digest like the, the characters, and they didn't become irredeemable for me. Was because yes, they are displaying homophobic attitudes throughout the second act of the well, throughout the whole the whole episode, but. Their homophobia is not bred from a sense of malice or hatred or disgust or like some kind of demented religious view or anything like that. It's just a kind of ignorance born in they are comfortable with their lifestyle and they don't want it to change. Yeah. Their whole thing is like if they could be sure that, you know, they, like Cheers would not go gay as they say it like at one point if they could be sure like it wasn't going to do that and it wouldn't really affect their life or their comfort they wouldn't have a problem and we see that by the very end like the stinger at the end and so it's just it, it is just kind of this ignorance and this want to maintain their comfortable status quo and i think a lot of their their hostility in this episode is just being you know kind of taken out of their comfort zone and responding to that so yeah. that at least i can understand yeah. Um, whereas I'm you're right. With, with, yeah, with Carla, it's it's harder to justify. So, look, I have nowhere to bring this up. Like, this is a total non sequitur, but I want to bring it up before I forget. I have to be honest. I have not been watching all of season one, keeping up with the podcast, even though I listen to every episode. The two guys who were, like, at the end of the bar with Cliff and Norm. It was, like, a guy in a tan sweater and a yep. guy in blue. Yep. Have have they been around previous episodes? They have. They're sort of like tertiary bar guys. Um, okay, because they, were, dr- yeah, they one were driving of, one of, me nuts. <laughs> yeah, one of them is named Jack, um, and he's around, I think, throughout the whole series. Um, and the other one is um, he's actually also named Tom, and he plays like a lawyer, like an attorney, and he's in a few of the Diane episodes. Yeah. Yeah, no, what, draw, what drove me nuts about them is they kept looking like they were leaning a little too far, like they were trying to hog center frame, or the guy in blue, like when he says a line, he says it with more gusto than the line warrants, and I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking, I am looking at an extra trying desperately to get booked as a regular. That's like, probably clo- <laughs> That's probably closer to the situation than you would think. I mean, these guys were like... These I'm guys sure were, it is. I'm sure yeah. they looked at at what happened with Cliff and go, "Oh, he got in. I can too." And now they're, but God, they were distracting as heck. <laughs> and the thing is, nobody's ever singled these guys out in any of the other podcasts, so I wasn't even sure if they'd even been there before, no, or yeah, if they they're just been. worse in this episode. Yeah, no, they, yeah, they've been around there. Yeah, and and I think you're probably right because they're they're the type of characters who like, and they're not in every single episode, but maybe like a quarter to a third of the episodes, and they might get one line in episode but they're kind of thinking they're like yeah you know john ratzenberger he's not a series writer he doesn't have his name in the credits but he's getting a lot of lines he's getting more dialogue than norm some of the time so if we just kind of keep muscling our way in maybe somebody will notice us yeah that's probably true it's definitely what it feels like so um the episode ends um with 
the reveal that these these two guys and the whole time Norman Cliff and the regulars they're singling out this group of guys who came in. They said they you know rec- they read the article with Sam. They thought it was really crazy. Of course, these guys do not look like normal Cheers regulars. They're thin, well groomed, well dressed. Um, well, let, one of them has a leather vest and a. <laughs> Very impressive mustache. And I think maybe cowboy boots or something close to that, yeah. I didn't notice the cowboy boots, but it's like Freddie Mercury? (laughs) (laughs) They had had that look going on. And, of course, they order light beers, and they're not interested in whatever boxing match or half-naked woman is on the TV or something. So, of course, they must be gay. And the whole punchline is when the bar, the guys trick them into leaving and they come back and Diana reveals, she's like, those guys aren't gay. One of them hit on me and they're like, well, you said that somebody, there were two gay guys here. She's like, yeah, but I didn't say who it was. The actual gay guys have been here the whole time watching you make an ass out of yourself. And the whole thing culminates with these two guys leaning in and kissing Norm on the cheeks. And he kind of gives it the button where he kind of points to one of them. He's like, hey, better than Vera. Which, can, like, can I just say that that's <laughs> that's always weird for me when that happens because Vera is not a common name, <laughs> but it's my it's my stage name when I perform <laughs> drag and burlesque. And so, so it, it you, throws me off. You, but you're Norm's wife that we never actually see. So. Apparently, who knew? Yeah. Um, the the but, secret's finally revealed. <laughs> now, I have a question for you, though, and again, I, I don't expect you would have been paying this close attention, but did you recognize either of the guys at the end who kissed Norm? Like the actors? Yeah. No, I did not. Okay. So one of them, in IMDb, he's credited as Fred. I don't think that is ever actually said, but he's one of the – he's the guy away from the bar, so on Norm's left, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he's played by an actor named Kenneth Tigar or Tigar or something. It's T-I-G-A-R. So like Tiger, but with an A. And I was surprised to find a few things. First of all, he shares my birthday, September 24th. He has been in a bunch of things, a ton of movies, TV shows and everything like that. But like never like a big thing. But like, I think if you, if you actually zeroed in on him, I think you'd recognize his face. But specifically, he was in the movie, The Avengers, I, actually, I've, just, I've just clicked over to the yeah, to the IMDb page. The I'm old, like, oh, he's son the of a- old German man in Stuttgart who stands up to Loki and says he won't kneel down in front of Loki and who yep. is about to execute when when Captain America comes to Neva. He's that guy. That that same actor is one of the the guys who actually ends up revealing himself as gay to Norm in this episode. So okay, I, I, that, I, I, like, I, I now cool. officially love this guy. <laughs> like yeah. like forever and always, I love this guy. <laughs> so yeah, it's um. It, it's it's a strange episode, but I, I do think, like, the characters, they don't come off well, but they're not irredeemable. Uh, and Carla is hard to like anyway, <laughs> but Carla's I mean, also, that, Carla's also yeah. easy to love sometimes. Yeah, um, and I mean, like, like, the thing is, I think, you know, as a detriment to characters that you love, you can speak to that better than I can. But looking at the episode in isolation, I think it's all really well handled. I yeah. think it's, I think the... The right people are ultim- are the actual ultimate um, target of the of the jokes. The development for Sam is actually really impressive, especially by the end where he just he puts his foot down. Because, and honestly, I kind of like that they address the business reality because even now, you know, maybe not like literally like the bar will turn gay, but like businesses do have to weigh what will happen if they take a stance on a political issue like this to what it might cost them or 
you know, what they might gain depending on who their normal customer base is. I mean, that's another just flat out reality Mm -hmm. that I, again, I think was handled really well and, and, um, and, you know, props to Sam for Sam for where he landed on that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it definitely, it is, as, as you said, for taking on a tricky topic, especially in the early eighties, um, I think the writers handled it definitely well. Obviously, they they got an award nomination. Um, the episode did receive recognition for the screenwriting and and um, from the the Glad organization. And, and like as much as I was saying at the beginning, like this is one episode that sometimes I bristle at what I'm hearing the character say. It's also definitely one of the stronger episodes of season one. And I think you're right. I, I think Sam has, does deliver a sort of a very kind of like heroic stand at the end of it, which is one of my favorite moments of the episode. And we can we can get to that. Um, did you have any final thoughts or any other things that you wanted to single out in particular? I mean, you know, aside from the stuff that we're going to highlight at the end, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Well, then, uh, for Norm's tab, uh, and considering what what his part, he he was moving around a lot, and he had a lot to do in this episode, so he didn't drink that much. Um, I'm giving him credit for three beers. The third one is actually placed in front of Norm's stool at the end of the episode. He doesn't drink it, doesn't touch the glass, but it was ordered for him, and we know that he will drink it, so I am well, getting yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, no way he doesn't drink that beer. Um, which knocks him up to 79 beers for the series up to this point in 16 episodes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, which brings us to our employee of the week, or the MVP. Who did you think was the best character in this episode? I actually had a really tough call to make on this, and it's going to be weird given that I have said almost nothing about this character in the course of this conversation. Um, but I'm actually going to give it to Diane. Okay. For a couple reasons. First of all, Diane is – she is the active ally in the room. You know, it did, to you to use the SJW LGBTQ <laughs> terminology. You know that the ally is the person who is not part of the LGBTQ plus community, but who stands up for them, anyways. And she does that really well. I mean, she is a little bit arrogant, but that's her as a character. She's not arrogant because she's an ally. She's an arrogant person who also happens to be an ally. But you know, she lends a pretty understanding ear to when it comes to trying to get Sam to get his feet under him about all this. And I also like, it's a small detail, but I like the reveal that she she very clearly, she didn't just drop, oh, there's gay guys in this bar, and, you know, to set these guys, you know, alight, that she'd obviously planned this with them. She had, they were in on it. She didn't do this just to make fools of them. She did it with the knowledge and with the consent and with the participation of the gay people who were in the in the bar. So, I think, like, it's it's just, it's a great example of, of being a, a positive, active ally. And also, I think, for as much as she can be said to be Sam's friend at this point in the show, a good friend to somebody who's, you know, trying to wrap his head around what the heck's going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a moment in the very beginning of the episode which is perfect for Diane, which is she walks in in the middle, they're, they're setting up for this whole press conference thing, and she walks in talking about how she's just come from a sensory deprivation tank that sort of like heightens her awareness and everything. And of course she has zero situational awareness because it takes her like three extra beats to realize 
what the hell is going on? Where are all these people coming from? And and Cliff actually drops the line. And he's like, you know, it's a, a press event for like a, it's a book promotion event. And she's like, how can that be? A place where nobody reads. Uh, and Diane does yep. have one of my favorite lines when she shoots down Carla. And when Carla's saying, you know, if I, I'll if you know every man goes gay, then I'll have to start dating women. And she looks at Diane. And she's like, you. And uh, Diane has a great comeback. She's like, I like my dates a little bit more masculine than you. Not much, but a little. I just think that's one of the better lines that she's ever said to Carla. That that was that was a very good line. Yeah, that that one was almost my best joke <laughs> of the of the episode. Yeah. It was it was in contention. Yeah, I like Diane for all the reasons that you said, and just I mean, because of the strength of Shelley Long as a performer, she's always like a consideration for best <laughs> best actress of the episode. Um, I really liked Tom for all the reasons that you said in, in the beginning of the episode. Ultimately, I'm going to go with Sam because I do like his turn. I do like his crisis in, in the background and like the way he resolves it and how he kind of has the – he does the right thing not once but twice in the episode. Um, and I just think it's – he's willing to sacrifice for, for his own principles and because he knows that he's a good guy. And this is why for – a lot of Sam's faults, this is why people love him and this is why you want to hang out with him and spend time with him and why you would want to like gravitate to, to his bar. Well, I mean, he, I, I actually really love his line where, you know, he says he's not going to throw these guys that, you know, the regulars think are the gay, the gay guys out of the bar. And nor I can't remember if it's Norm or Cliff, but one of them goes, Sammy, do you want this to become that kind of bar? And he says, I don't want it to be the kind of bar where I throw people out. Yeah, and it's actually, and that's going to lead me right into um, what I think was one. Of, and for the for the best line or the best gag of the episode, I actually I had a couple of them, um, but one of them is definitely it's it's the line you just mentioned. He's like, it's not going to turn into the kind of bar where I have to throw people out of. And it's this great sort of heroic noble moment, and it's punctuated oh, with Diane's line, which I love. She goes, "That was the noblest preposition you've ever dangled." <laughs> so I just love that line. That's so that good. Was, so that, that was that was a good line. Yeah. So, um, I do have two runners up uh, other for other uh, great lines in this one. But what did you think? What were uh, what was your home run or your best moment of the episode? Okay, my favorite line. And this is one that it it what it one hundred percent came down to delivery because the line on paper is funny, but like if you know these characters and if you're seeing it happen, it's what makes it absolutely hilarious. And it's it's kind of the capper on Norm relaying the story about vetoes. Yes, uh, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's it's the place he used to go to that became a gay a gay bar because the gay people were allowed to meet in there once. Um, and so what caps off this whole thing is Sam saying, I don't believe that stuff. Bars don't turn gay overnight. Norm says, you don't have to believe me. I have scientific proof. Cliff? Cliff goes, it happened. Norm, <laughs> see? <laughs> I love that his scientific proof is just Cliff going, it happened. I, I love that too. That was also on my list. And it was such a, it's, it's one of those, it's almost a meta joke because it's t- almost talking about like how, like within this world of these characters, that's what they think of with Cliff. Like that he is like the encyclopedia, that he knows like this font of knowledge and like weird facts. So I love that they just call attention to it like that. Like, Norm unironically would cite him as his proof, Cliff's yes. opinion on this. Not, not just proof, his scientific evidence. proof. <laughs> yeah, it happened. Um, yeah, I love that line too. That was that was on my list. 
And then the third, the third one that I had for one of my favorite lines was, is actually it's not even a line. It's it's Diane's reaction to it. It's when she's in the back room with Sam in the pool room, and he's kind of he's going through, he's doing all of the like the processing and everything, and he's thinking, and he has this kind of offline. He's like, I should have known it way back then. Uh, I was at a piano bar once with Tom, and he requested a show tune. The look on Diane's face, like he's like, he was just like promoting some flat Earth conspiracy or something. She's just like, what? Like, <laughs> like how is that? Which, like, yeah, which is the right show to, look so just... to give anyone who yeah. says anything like that. Yeah. Um, another line that, that I really liked was um, was when she gets him to the back room because she made up an excuse for him to leave the press conference. He gets back there and like, I wish you could have been a little bit faster before I made up an ass of myself. And she goes, I was fast, you were faster. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a really good episode for one that I thought was going to make me uh, hard, uncomfortable and hard to watch. I loved rewatching this. I actually think it's one of the best episodes of the season. Um, I'm really glad that you agree with me that it's a really good episode because otherwise I would have to record this with somebody else. No, I think it was. I think it was great. And it, you know, it's funny because you know we spent so much time talking about sort of the. The, in, the ins and outs of the sort of topic that it was. And I'm glad that, you know, you have the home run moments at the end because it allows us to highlight. It's also really funny yeah, on top yeah. of everything else that we talked about. Like we we didn't dig so much into into how many good jokes there are because there are plenty. Mm-hmm. In addition to tackling this stuff really well, holding up surprisingly well, especially for the 80s. Right. It's also funny. Yeah. yeah. Deserving of the, the nominations and the awards and the, the praise that it got. So, all right. Well, uh, Nathaniel, thank you very much for being my guest in this episode. Where else can people find you if they want to hear more about you or see more of you uh, in the podcasto and YouTube verse? Okay, there's going to be a long list because this particular conversation crossed the multiple things that I do. So, apologies in advance. <clears throat> For the majority of my geeky stuff, just search for Council of Geeks. You will there you, with that you will find me on YouTube, you will find me on Twitter, you'll find a podcast feed. YouTube is the big one that gets daily video updates. I also have a Patreon if you're the generous type. Um, in addition to that, as Ryan mentioned, I am the co-host on the Tough Like a Girl podcast, which I do with my partner Liz right here on the network. Um, also, under the name Vera Wild, Wild spelled W-Y-L-D-E, I have a separate YouTube channel discussing gender fluid and LGBTQ um, issues and thoughts and life experiences. And along those same lines, I published a book earlier this year called Skirting Gender which was about my own development and coming to a sense of myself as a gender-fluid individual and offering what sort of guidance I can to anyone who is either curious as to what living that kind of life is like or is not as far along in their own journey as I happen to be. Awesome. That is very cool. Um, Yeah, and uh, one more time, thank you very much for being on the show. Listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. You know, you can support the show on Facebook and Twitter. You can also leave a comment on the website post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can always leave us an iTunes review if you are so inclined. And until next time, we're closed. I made a complete ass out of myself. I was fast, but you were faster. (laughs) It wasn't my fault. I mean, he should have told me. Sam, he told you to read the book. Yeah, but... He should have known that you'd be spending the evening with the woman who thinks 
Candide is a toenail polish. <laughs> I just can't believe it. I mean, the guy was a hound, Diane. He had women everywhere. We'd be on the road. We'd go into hotel lobbies. There'd be three, four women holding up kids. <laughs> he covers that. He covers that. Where? He's, here, here. In this paragraph right here. You want me to read it? No, I'll read it. <laughs> right there? Yes. From the outside, my days in baseball seemed glorious. But the greater my fear became of my true sexuality the more I compensated with typical Don Juan promiscuity. Does that explain it? I don't know. I've only read it once. <laughs> he was denying who he was. He's no longer doing that.